I don't know if you know this, but uh, people who study human behavior tell us this. They tell us that on average, every one of us speak about 7,000 words every single day. Now, I know some of you are way over your quota. Some of you, you know you're not on the 7,000. You're like on the high, you're like the 21,000 people. Like, anyone want to just self-identify as a chatterbox? Anyone put up their hands? If you know you're like on the higher range, I see someone trying to lift someone else's hand. Like, you know, it should be you. Why aren't you putting your hand up? Hey, who would say like, you're probably on the lower end of that scale. Like, you're like a thousand word a day person. Like, who, who's, who's very quiet, very, okay, so... So we know, but on average, they tell us that the average person, those guys are kind of in the middle. We, we speak about 7,000 words a day. Now, to put that in context, it means every single day, your words could fill a 50-page book. Isn't that crazy? Every single day, you're writing a book of at least 50 pages. Some of you are writing encyclopedias, we know. But for most of us, we're, we're writing like a 50-page book every single day. Isn't that crazy? And Jesus tells us something very important about these words that we speak. He tells us that they reveal something about what's happening on the inside of us. That these words we speak, in fact, reveal our hearts. They reveal our heart attitudes. And Paul is getting to this place in the book of Colossians that we've been studying where he's going to now kind of address our words. And this has really been his thinking. If If you've been journeying with us in this book of Colossians, We've been seeing that Paul has been really honing in on this new identity, that you are a new person. You have a new identity. He's saying, hey, Jesus is enough. You don't need to add anything else to Jesus Christ. And then he's saying, because you're in Jesus, now clothe yourself in Jesus. And he says, clothe yourself with humility and patience and long-suffering. You're a new person. Look at someone and say, you're a new person. And he's saying, so stop believing those old things and stop living in those old ways. And we say, we, we see because we're a new person, we, we're clothed in a new identity. He says, you have a new family, right? So, so wives, submit to your husbands. And husbands, love your wives. And children, obey, obey your parents. And parents, encourage your children. He's saying, because you have a new identity, you now have a new work ethic. You do everything as unto Christ. And now he's getting to the place where he says, because you have a new identity. You also have new speech. You have new words. We have a new way of speaking because we have been adopted into a new family. And I want you to think of your salvation like this, as if you've been adopted into a family that speaks a different language to your original family. And in your new family, as you hang out with the perfect father, and as you hang out with your new brothers and sisters, you start to take on the language of your new family. And this is what Paul is saying. If your heart has changed, if your heart has become new, your speech will become new. If you are no longer the same person that you were, and out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and the other thing that's gonna change is your speech. The words that you use will change because of your salvation. And then he kind of gets really specific, and he shares with us, what are the new words we say? What are the new things we do with our speech now that we are new creations? And let's jump into that in the book of Colossians chapter 4. And let's read together from verse 2. 
He says these words. Devote yourselves. Everyone say, devote yourselves. He says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Okay, so that's the first thing that new creation believers do. People that are now have a new heart. What do they do with their mouths? What do they do with their words? They devote themselves to prayer with an alert mind and with praise of thanksgiving. They have a thankful heart. So this is what new created beings do. We pray prayers of thanksgiving. Prayers of thanksgiving. That's what you're encouraged to do. That's what I'm encouraged to do. We all encouraged by Paul to give God prayers of thanksgiving. Now, we're going to break it down a little bit. We're going to examine that a little bit. What exactly Paul's saying? Let's hone into Colossians 4 verse 2. Let's break it down section by section. First he says, devote yourselves. Look at someone and say, devote yourself to prayer. Okay, this is the highest form of your speech. This is the best thing you can do with your words is devote yourself to prayer. This is you coming to the Creator face to face and speaking to Him in prayer. This is the best use of your words. If you're wondering what to do with your words, what's the best use of your words? Devote yourselves to prayer. Speak to your Creator. It's you're acknowledging that there are things that only God can do. You, you're acknowledging that your trust is in God alone, that your hope is in God alone. And as you do that, you are submitting your will to God's will. Not my will, but your will be done. Paul says, devote yourself to this. In other words, another way to say that would be, don't stop. Don't give up. Don't give up praying. Don't give up. Some people are like, oh, I've prayed so long about this and nothing, it hasn't worked. No, Paul, Paul's saying don't give up. In fact, Jesus, when he's teaching in Luke 18, says always pray and never give up. In fact, look at someone, encourage them, look at them in the eyes and say, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Don't give up. I think a lot of us treat prayer like we treat those oxygen masks on the plane. Like we know it's there if we get into like a really bad situation, but we're pretty grateful not to have to need it today, right? Like we know it's there. It's like this emergency backup that we can just pull down. And, you know, if, if, it, gets, if it gets that bad, if the turbulence is that bad, if it looks like my life is going to crash, I can just reach up and pull down the mask. Prayer is not some mask you pull down in a plane. It is, in fact, the oxygen of our kingdom. We need it to live. We need it to to function in this kingdom, we need prayer. So Paul is saying, don't stop praying. Don't give up. Don't use this just for emergencies. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, he doubles down and he says, never stop praying. Never stop praying. And, and I know that verse can like be like confusing because does it mean I just have to like walk around mumbling all day? Like, I can't eat because then I'm going to stop praying. Like, don't talk to me. I'm going to stop praying. I can't go into this meeting. I'm going to stop praying. Like, no, that's not what it doesn't mean you've got to mumble prayers all day long. What it means is that you need to pray on every occasion. There shouldn't be a single occasion in our lives that we don't bring to prayer in God. There shouldn't be a single thing that we don't come, a single situation, nothing too big for God, nothing too small for God. We give everything to Him. So don't stop praying. Paul clarifies and he says, devote yourselves to prayer. And then he says, with an alert mind. Do you know why, church? It's because how often do you know that 
when you want to start devoting yourself to prayer, that's a time your mind gets hit with distractions, with worries, with thoughts. Like if I want my phone to ring, all I have to do is just enter a time of prayer. You know, if I want to get like some crazy email, if I want to get some WhatsApps, I just got to pray because those distractions will come. The enemy loves to do this, or he often can distract us with tiredness. So Paul is saying, stay alert. When you're devoting yourself to prayer, stay alert. Remember Jesus with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, will you pray with me a little while? Then he goes off ahead of them to praise. When he comes back, what does he find? They're sleeping. I mean, how relatable, by the way, is that I find it so relatable because it can be often when we want to devote ourselves to prayer that it can be so tiring on our flesh. In fact, I tell people that are struggling to sleep at night, like, hey, there's a quick fix. Start praying and read your Bible. Like the devil, I mean, he'll put you to sleep in five minutes, right? Because this is a spiritual attack that happens when you and I enter prayer. And so Paul, he's aware of this, and he knows that sometimes it's taxing. And most Christians would relate that, hey, we're not always alert when we're praying. We're not devoting ourselves to prayer. In fact, the Barna Research Group, when they research Christians, <laughs> they find that on average, the average Christian gets how much guess how much time they spend in prayer every day, the average Christian. Why don't you share with someone next to you just what your guess is? What do you think the average Christian, how much do you think they pray every day? Just share your guess. The average Christian spends one minute in prayer. Now, that doesn't make sense when you remember that this is not a religion, but this is a relationship with the living God. And you try having an intimate, close relationship with your spouse by only talking to them for one minute a day. In fact, some of you, that's the problem. That's why you don't have an intimate, close relationship with your spouse, but that's a separate sermon, right? We won't have to do that today. But if you want closeness and intimacy, if you want to be in deep relationship, you've surely got to put in more than a minute a day. And when it comes to our relationship with Christ, we've got to do, we've got to be devoted to prayer. Prayer is really us acknowledging that we can't do life alone, that we need God. Prayer is us aligning our will with God's will. The best use of your words is speaking to your Creator. It's the very best thing you can do. Paul, when he's writing to the, to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says these three simple words, never stop praying. Never stop praying. Look at someone and say, never stop praying. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, never stop praying. You know, um, what does it mean? Because I know you can read that verse and be like, so what am I supposed to like walk around all day mumbling prayers? Blah, 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 blah. Now I can't eat because if I eat, I'm not praying. Can't talk to you because if I'm talking to you, I'm not praying. No, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean you should be mumbling prayers all the time. What it means is that you should pray in every occasion and for every occasion. There should be nothing we don't commit to God, nothing we don't communicate to God. Everything we're going through, the big things in life where we need help, and the small things, the seemingly insignificant things, there's nothing too big for Him, nothing too small for Him. There should be no relationship I'm not talking to Him about, no circumstance I'm not including Him in. It's this idea, I'm, gonna, I'm never going to stop including God in every occasion, in every situation. So Paul says, 
Don't stop praying. And then he says, when you do it, he says, devote yourself to prayer. <laughs> and then he clarifies, he says, with an alert mind. In other words, don't get tired. Don't get distracted. And I love how relatable the Bible is because the Bible knows that when you are giving yourself to prayer, man, how many of you know that's when you can become the most distracted and the most tired? I actually give people this advice. People that are struggling with sleep, people that are, maybe have a bit of insomnia, they're struggling to fall asleep at night. I'm like, well, here's what you can do. Lie in bed, open your Bible, read the Word and pray. The, the devil will put you to sleep in like 10 minutes. Because that's what he does. If you, want to, if you want to guarantee a phone call, just start praying, right? And there'll be some kind of distraction that comes your way. Some kid who falls off a bike or a phone that rings somewhere, he, he wants to distract you. And the Bible knows us. So it says, devote yourself to prayer. And when you do it, have an alert mind. Oh, we can see this even happening with the disciples of Jesus Christ. Remember when Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane? He goes in there in his hour of need, and he goes to pray, and he, he calls his closest disciples to come with him. He says, just pray with me. Then he goes on ahead of them. And a little while later, Jesus comes back, and what does he find his disciples? Sleeping. Isn't that so relatable? Hey, aren't you glad that's in the Bible? Right? Because we understand that there is a spiritual oppression when we are devoting ourselves to prayer, that, there is a, that we're putting ourselves in the front line of the enemy, and he's going to do everything he can to tire us out, to distract us, to, to get us to look or think about something else. So it's our responsibility to say, when I devote myself to prayer, I need to have an alert mind. I need to be switched on. I need to get out of the bed. I need to get myself to a closet somewhere or, or put my phone off or put myself in a room where I can't be distracted, but it's up to me to make sure that while I'm praying, I'm switched on, I'm not distracted, and I'm alert. And then he goes on to say, devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind, and then he clarifies it, and a thankful heart. A thankful heart. This is so on brand for Paul. 32 times in the New Testament in his letters, he tells people to be thankful to be grateful. He tells people, and, and let me remind you why this means so much is because while he's writing this letter, you know where he is? In jail. Like the guy in jail is telling you to be grateful. The guy in jail who's lost his freedom, can't make decisions for himself, lost his income, like he's lost everything, and yet he's telling us to be thankful. And this is a good reminder for you and I, because even when you lose everything, you can be thankful. There is never a circumstance where gratitude is not on the table. No matter what you are going through, there's something you can be grateful for. And Paul says, look for that thing. Because if you're only looking at what's wrong, if you're only focused on what you still need, if you're only focused on what hasn't yet happened, you miss all the blessings of God that has already happened. You miss all the wonderful things that you already do have. And it's a miserable way to live, so get your eyes off of the things that you don't have and put them onto the blessings that God has already given you and some of those blessings the world cannot touch because no matter what you are going through, you are saved and you are loved and you are redeemed and you are made new and you are set free. No matter what you are going through, He's been, made you a conqueror. There's so much, there's so much we can be grateful for no matter the circumstances and Paul shows us this. In fact, 
there's this beautiful thing that happens in Acts 27. We find Paul, he's incarcerated, so he's captured. He's a prisoner on the ship, and the ship is in a storm. It is a bad storm. It lasts for days. In fact, if you carry on reading in Acts 27, you find out it, the storm legitimately is, it is really bad because the, the ship eventually does go down. So here Paul is in a storm as a prisoner, and let's listen to how he responds in Acts 27 from verse 35. It says, then he took some bread, the prisoner. He gave thanks to God before them all. Here in prison, in the storm, he gives thanks to God. He broke off a piece of bread and ate it. And then everyone was encouraged and began to eat. All 276 of us who were on board, blessed by the prisoner in the middle of the storm. I want to say this to you guys, no matter your storm, thank God. Give thanks to God. Give thanks to Him. Look at how that entire crew was encouraged because of the work of Paul. Give thanks to God. It is such a good use of your, your mouth, such a good use of your lips, such a good use of your speech and your words. When you pray praise of thanksgiving, say, God, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you have done for me. And for many of us, that's a step we need to take. We need to just thank God. It's been a while since we thank God. I'm reminded of that incident where Jesus heals the 10 lepers. He heals 10 of them. I mean, in this leprosy, it caused them to live out of town. They were cut off from their families. They lost any sense of future, any sense of hope. It's terrible, completely cut off. Jesus comes along, offers them healing, gives them instant healing. The one, their greatest need, the thing they wanted the most and longed for the most and needed the most, Jesus gives to them in an instant. And nine of the 10 guys turn around and run back home without even saying thank you to Jesus. Only one stays behind. 90% of us never just stop and say thank you. And I don't think those stats have changed much since Jesus' day. I think the same often happens even now today. How many of us don't just stop and give thanks to God for the blessings we already have instead of focusing on all the needs we don't yet have? And so we're going to put this into practice right now. Wherever you are, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. And here's the invitation. For just a few moments, let's be in complete obedience with Scripture. Right now, be devoted to prayer. Whatever distractions come to mind, push them aside. This is not about the person sitting next to you. This is not about what happened this morning or what's happening later. It's about right now. Come with an alert mind and come with a thankful heart. And in this moment, all I want you to do is just give thanks to God. Give thanks to Him. Thank Him for all the many things He's done in your life. Thank Him for what you have. Thank Him for the clothes you're wearing. Thank Him for life. Thank you for the family you have and the friendships you have and the food you have, the connections you have. Let's give thanks to God right now.
I love being able to put Scripture into practice in real time. We're going to give you some more opportunity to do that. As we look at these ways to use our words, number one, we pray prayers of thanksgiving. Number two, we're going to find in the next verse, here in Colossians 4 from verse 3. He says, pray for us too, that God would give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm here in chains, he says. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Here we see Paul asking for prayer, asking that the church pray for him and the ministry. Why? So that the gospel can continue to go out. And so this is a, another use of your words. Another thing you and I should be committed to doing is praying for the gospel. Look at someone and say, pray for the gospel. I love that Paul is writing to this church and he's saying, hey guys, you need to pray for me. You need to pray for these leaders so that God's work would keep on going. And you know why he prays us? Because for some reason, guys, from the beginning of time, right up till today, God has always used his people to do his work. And we need to pray for those who are doing his work so that his work can keep on going so that the kingdom can keep on growing, so that the church can keep on being built. It's up to us to pray for those. And so I'm gonna, I wanna pull a Paul and I wanna say, please pray for me, pray for my family. I hope you do. I hope you keep us in prayer. I hope you pray for our eldership. I hope you pray for our pastors of this church, our leaders, our volunteers, because guess what? We need it. We need prayer. And it's a responsibility of the church to pray for those who are doing God's work. Why? So that the work of God will continue because if all these people are taken out, if all these people are affected, if all these people, man, if they get taken out of the game, God's work is affected. And that's not the heart of God. That's not what God wants. And so Paul's saying, pray, pray for those who are leaders. Pray for those who are active in the ministry. And I love what he's asking for because Man, I, I just got to say, when I read this, I realize how unlike Paul I am. Because here he's sitting in jail, and he's saying, you know, when you pray for me, this is what I want you to pray for. I want you to pray for opportunity. Now, if I was in jail and writing you guys a letter, I don't think I'd be praying for that. I'll be like, okay, guys, who's on the team? Like, who's busting me out of here? Like, you got to pray for open doors, not opportunity. I want, open, I want a Paul Silas moment. Like, just get me out of here. But Paul is more concerned about being a faithful minister than he is about being a free man. And he's realizing that just because he's in jail doesn't mean he's out of God's will. And so it might look to us like his ministry's taking a setback, like his ministry's in trouble. Like, how can this be in God's will? But Paul does something that I hope you and I can learn from. I want to learn from it. He doesn't say, why, God? Instead, he says, what, God, and who, God? He doesn't say, God, why has this happened to me? Instead, he's saying, God, what do you want me to do now that this has happened to me? Who do you want me to reach now that I'm here? He looks for opportunity no matter where he is, when he's in the great seasons of life and when he's in the jail cells. He's not saying why. He's saying, God, what? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to do to, to minister to? And, and I just want to say to you, some of you are going to find yourselves in places where you might not have chosen to be yourself. You might find yourself in that medical ward 
in that treatment center, in that prison cell, in that interrogation room. Don't ask, why God? How could you let this happen? No, look for the opportunity. Ask, what God? What, what do you want me to do now that I'm here? What can I do for you? Who do you want me to reach? Is it the person on the hospital bed across from me? Is it the person, the police officer that's pulling me over and asking for a bribe? Like, God, what, what and who? Just like Paul did, he, he, he wasn't worried about his own comfort. He was, he was worried about doing God's will. And, and so we see that Paul's imprisonment didn't mean the end of his ministry. It just meant a change to his ministry. And I just want to encourage some of you who have had closed doors in ministry or in life and things just you don't seem to be where you thought you would be. Well, it doesn't mean the end of your ministry. It just means a change. You've got to start praying, God, what and who? What do you want me to do now that I'm here? Who do you want me to reach now that I'm here? And Paul was so successful. In prison, he was so successful. And I think he was successful because he had people praying for him. He asked so many churches to, to pray for him, and they did. I mean, come on. Who finds opportunity in prison? But it's from prison that Paul ends up writing Letters to the Colossians and the Philippians and the Thessalonians and the Hebrews and Philemon. He writes these letters that we are still studying now today. It's fed the church for over 2,000 years. I can honestly look back and say, thank you, God, that Paul went to prison. Like, I'm so grateful he was there. Because now we have these words in recorded history to bless the church for hundreds and thousands of years. And it's exactly what it's done. God used that season. Where from the outside, it might have looked like failure. From the outside, it might have looked like a setback. But Paul was exactly where God wanted him to be. And he looked for the opportunity in the setback, in the failure. And so I want you to pray for leaders. Because leaders, the leaders in our church certainly face setback and failure and hardship. It's important that we pray for them. And so I'm going to give you a moment right now to pray for the leadership of this church and before I do that, what I want, there's a specific couple I want you to pray for, and that is our lead pastors of our campus in Nelspreet, Mtoko and Nadia. They've been leading the campus in Nelspreet for two years already. Uh, many of you who have been with us for a while know that we planted Nelspreet about five years ago, but like many small churches, that church took an incredibly hard knock during COVID when the churches were locked down for months. And it's a knock it never really recovered from. Also in that time, the previous senior pastors, Andrew and Genevieve Coles, felt called by God to go emigrate to New Zealand. So the church that was already going through a hard time lost its senior pastors. And please keep Andrew in prayer as well. He actually suffered a stroke this week. He seems to be okay now, but keep him in your prayers. But we brought Mtoko Nadia in about two years ago. Uh, to kind of revive that campus, and they really had to almost start from scratch. There wasn't really anything left. And they've been doing God's work faithfully. I've heard plenty of testimonies and stories from the last five years of what God has done in people's lives in Nelspreet. It's been beautiful to see. But unfortunately, uh, due to economic reasons, that campus has just struggled to get on its own financially, and so it's come to a place now where Mtoko and Nadia have decided to close down that campus. And it is an incredibly hard thing to kind of close that season, to believe that 
It's an end of the season to wrap up a ministry. It's a hard, hard thing to go through. And so now as we pray for our leaders, I really want you to lift them in prayer as well. But I also want to pray for any leaders that are in the room. Man, I love that today we just get to act out Scripture and do what it says in real time. And we've already seen that as new creations, we need to use our words in prayers of thanksgiving. We need to pray for the gospel, pray for the church. And there's one more thing that Paul tells us to do with our lips. We're going to find it here in Colossians chapter 4 again. And let's read from verse 5 and 6. He says, Live wisely amongst those who are not believers. Anyone you know who's not a Christian, be wise as you live amongst them. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation with who? With them, with the unbelievers. Let it be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. What is the third thing that you and I need to do with our mouths as new creation believers? It's this. We need to share our faith with others. Look at someone in the eye and say, share your faith. This is not something we keep to ourselves, church. It's something we share with others. But I love what Paul does here because before he talks about you speaking, he first speaks about how you're living. He's like, before you go tell people about the truth and before you tell them about your faith, he says, just check how you're living. Look at your lifestyle. He says, live wisely amongst those who are not believers. Live wisely amongst them. And we have to be real. We haven't always done that, right? In fact, there's a, a kind of a label or reputation that people put on Christians. And we're known for being hypocrites, for living one way and then preaching another way, for being one thing on a Friday night with friends and another thing on Sunday morning in church and another thing at work and another thing with our family and another thing with our kids. Like we, we, we're, we're known for that inconsistency. And Paul says, you've got to share your faith. But before you share your faith, check your lifestyle. Because guys, like it or not, the world's looking. In fact, the moment, you know this, the moment someone knows you're a Christian, it changes how they treat you. It changes how they look at you. They're almost kind of looking for something that they can point out that you're doing wrong. The moment your boss knows you're a Christian, the moment that someone in your office or your, your family, the moment they know you're a Christian, they're like, oh, can you do that? I thought you were a Christian, right? And we get so frustrated. Like, why? You don't judge me. But actually, Jesus has given the world permission to judge you by your lifestyle. Did you know that? He says, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples. By how much you tell them. Oh, no, that's not what he said. It's about how you live. By the way you love each other, that's how they're going to know you're my disciples, by your lifestyle. And guys, in this series, we've touched on so much lifestyle issues. And I just want to say, if there's things in your life that you know do not line up with the faith, get it right. Get your life in order, because until you do, what you're doing is you're dirtying your testimony you are undercutting your witness. You are silencing your testimony because you feel, you know, I can't share this with you because I'm not even living it. We need to get our lives in order so that we have the permission to share our faith with unbelievers. Now, there is a Christian kind of popular teaching and ideology that I just disagree with, and it's this. 
that people will see how you're living, and that will be enough. You don't have to preach the gospel with your words. You only preach it with your lifestyle. And yet, when I look in Scripture, i got to say, guys, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible, in fact, teaches not only should you live it, but you should also tell it. If you're just living it and hoping people become Christians because they're so inspired by how you're living, well, that's only half the story. You have to live and speak. Look at someone and say, live and speak. It's not enough just to live this Christian life and say, well, hopefully this inspires someone. No, at some point, you've got to open your mouth. You've got to use your words to share your faith. You've got to live and speak. And there's a saying, you know, you, you might be the only Bible people read. Well, that's great. All that is is your lifestyle becomes the invitation. But what are you inviting them to? If you're not speaking, that just means you're inviting them to a party you're not throwing. That doesn't make any sense. There's got to come a time in our lives where we are willing to open our mouths and speak and share the good news, share our faith. In fact, Paul would buckle down as he's writing to the Romans. In Romans, he says in chapter 10, verse 14, let your conversation, oh, sorry, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him unless if they've never heard of him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them. It's one thing to live a lifestyle that is an example, but that's only half the story. If your lifestyle is in order and you know that sharing your faith is not hypocritical, I want to say your next step is share your faith. Share your faith. I, I firmly believe there are some of you today, you need to share your faith with your dad. You, you need to share your faith with, with your boss with that person who you're spending more time with than anyone else because they're stuck at a desk with you in the office. You need to share your faith with them. Some of you need to share your faith with your kids, with your best friend, and you're just kind of hoping, well, hopefully they see the change and they're inspired. Yeah, that's great. That's one half. The other half is you open your mouth and you share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You share with them the good news. You tell them, hey, I've got to share this with you. This has changed my life. I have found the best thing. I've made the best decision there is to make, and I want to share this gift with you. You've got to know the truth. And I know even as you're hearing that, some of you, that scares you because you're like, if I speak to my dad about Jesus, I'm putting my relationship at risk with him. If I, if I try to talk to my best friend about Jesus, I'm putting my relationship at risk with her. If I phone my sister and tell her about Jesus, I'm putting my relationship at risk. But guys, what kind of logic is that? Because ultimately, he has the two choices. You put your relationship at risk, or they go to hell. Don't love people all the way to hell, please. That isn't love. That isn't love. If you really love them, you're going to be more concerned about their eternity than you are about your relationship with them. It is a worthwhile risk. Put your relationship at risk. Put your reputation at risk and open your mouth and speak about Jesus to the people that Jesus has put in your life, to the people he's put around your, your dining room table, in your kitchen, and in your office. It's one thing to live. It's great to live, and we must live wisely amongst unbelievers, but we've got to take that next step, and we've got to use our words to share our faith. And some of you, I know this is terrifying. In fact, because it's so terrifying, we're going to pray for you right now.
for every one of you that has someone in your life, and I hope many of us have people in our lives that don't know Christ. I hope we're not stuck in some Christian cocoon. Church, I pray over you that you would have prayers of thanksgiving, that you would have prayers for the gospel, and that you would share your faith, that your words would be used to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Because you know what? I know that this church has a vision that God has given it, and it goes like this. We won't stop until every person has a spirit-filled, mature relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we function. That's what God has put us here for. We won't stop until every person has a spirit-filled, mature relationship with Jesus. In fact, we're going to read those words together. Can we do it on the count of three? One, two. Are we going to get those words up, guys? One, two, three. We won't stop. One more time. One, two, three. We won't stop until every person has a spirit-filled, mature relationship with Jesus Christ. Who's in? Are you in? I'm in. And I know that as we pray praise of thanksgiving, I know that as we pray for God's work in this church, and I know that as you open your mouth and you live the lifestyle and you share your faith, we're going to accomplish it. Do you know how beautiful it was yesterday at River Christian Center? With the, we had a team of people. We went out there. We just shared the gospel. We, like, we just went and, and bumped into strangers and told them about Jesus and prayed for them. People came to get tomatoes, and they found eternity. How cool is that? Right? They got in the car. They, they got in the car yesterday morning, driving to fruit and veg, headed for hell, and they left, headed for heaven. How cool is that? How cool is that? That's the power. When you are willing to open your mouth, that's the power. It changes eternities, and we've got to be willing to do it. We've got to be willing to risk it. Nothing else is worth more. And so we're not going to stop. In fact, as we close right now, we're going to close in a song where we're going to declare just that we won't stop. Are you ready? Let's worship God together.
virgins, praise him. Let's declare by faith. Let's declare a church. Oh. 